0: All right. As I get into this, let me let me just go. Two thousand years ago, uh, what the world was like. Uh, the Roman Empire was the superpower of the world, and it had the strongest economy, the strongest military, it, the strongest everything, and it was in the process of self-destructing. Just kind of curious if that sounds familiar, if that gets anybody's attention right there. What what, what was happening to the Roman Empire, despite its wealth, despite its power? It was corrupt, it was morally bankrupt, and this is the setting in which Peter writes his epistle, and that's what we're going to be studying over the next uh, several weeks, uh, First Peter. And, and I just want you to understand the background to to what was going on when Peter wrote this, to, to the people he wrote it to, what they were experiencing. They were living under the Nero, the emperor. Have you heard about Nero? Um, and Nero... Uh, how? Uh, let me, let me let me just tell you a few things that uh, Nero entered the Olympics in 67 A.D. and won every event. It's amazing, or rigged. I don't. Uh, so, um, and and he considered himself to be a great artist. He considered himself to be a great actor. He considered himself to be a great musician. He considered himself to be a great charioteer writer, uh, whatever those are. He he considered himself to be great. And he actually considered himself to be a god. He declared himself to be a god, and he had a soldier to prove to the world that he was a god. He had one of his soldiers run him through with a sword, which didn't really go well for him. He died. Um, And as he was dying... He said the last of his famous last words, the world is losing a great artist. Um, that was Nero. Uh, and Nero came to the throne. His mother helped him get there. Um, and, and after he was crowned emperor, he had his soldiers throw his mother into the sea. This is Nero. Um, and then he had, he was just outraged that his mother had the audacity to try to swim back to shore. Um, so he sent his soldiers in to, to kill her, um, his own mother. Um, what Nero is really famous for, he wanted to build a, a palace, and where he wanted to build the palace, there was people living there. Um, and somehow that place, it all just burnt to the ground so he could build a palace there. And, um, and everybody knew Nero was responsible. Everybody knew Nero was behind this. But Nero said it was those Christians Those Christians did this. You know how they're always talking about the wrath of God and how the world will end in fire. It's those Christians. He blamed the Christians. And do you know what happened? The persecution broke out against the Christians as a result of that. And and Nero, the stories are, he's famous for um, dipping the Christians in tar and sticking them up on poles and lighting them on fire to have light for his evening games at the Colosseum. Just trying to paint a picture here for you. This is the world that Peter wrote his epistle for, to the Christians who were living through this. What I'm trying to say, the present time for these people was pretty tense. It was pretty tense. And and before we dive into chapter 1, I want to take you to the end of the story. I want to take you to the, the last part of 1 Peter 5 and, and how Peter ends his book, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, he, he says this, I've written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you're experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. That, that last part, there, that, that kind of gets my attention, to assure you, I mean, that's hard to assure you, you know, when you see all the th- things, that, 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 all that's going on, to assure you that what you're experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. But, but he says, my purpose is to encourage you. I want to encourage you. And, and, and what he wrote 2,000 years ago, I'm, I'm curious if that's relevant for your life right now. Maybe you're somebody who needs a little bit of encouragement right now, because life stinks Sometimes like everything is going wrong, um, you get bad news, and on top of that, you get bad news, and on top of that, you get some more bad news, and, and then more bad news. Um, maybe you're in here right now, and you need encouragement. I hope this, I hope this happens for you. The, the word to encourage somebody is to put courage in them. And Joshua, when, when, the, when the people were getting ready to take the promised land, he says, Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. I, I believe that's kind of relevant. That's kind of what Peter is saying here. Hey, I want you to know God is with you. Um, I want you to have courage. I want to put courage in your soul. That, that's, that's what we're going for as we study First Peter, that you and I would be encouraged and that we would have courage. And he says, Stand firm in this grace. Stand firm in this grace. Because you know what this world is going to do to you. You know what this world is going to say about you. You know uh, it, the world's going to push at you. And you've got, to, you've got to stand firm in your faith, who Jesus Christ is. We, we serve Jesus. We live for Jesus. We need to stand firm in our biblical convictions. There's a the whole point here of, of First Peter, that we would be encouraged and that we would stand firm no matter what happens in this world. I don't want you to lose sight of that. This is, this is the objective here. So as we, as we understand that, now we dive into the first chapter here. And, and, I, and there's so much stuff here. And so uh, yeah, let's just, let's go. Okay, so Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect Strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia, and Cappadocia, and Asia, and Bethany, Bethne- that place, and uh, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Um, so we we know Peter is the one who wrote this. Peter, where well, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, one of the one of the founding fathers, a leader of the Church of Jerusalem, uh, and Everybody, I love Peter. Um, I was named after this guy. And, and, and I just feel like I can relate to him because he always had a way of putting his foot in his mouth. I'm like, yes, that's, yeah. And, you know, Paul, and I like Paul. Paul, I, we preach a lot on, you know, what Paul has written. And Paul is so intelligent and, and so smart. And, you know, he describes, Paul describes himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, a son of the Pharisees. And he's just so brilliant, he's hard to relate to. Peter, on the other hand, anybody want to go fishing? I mean, that's just, that's Peter. You know, so Peter is a guy, everybody can relate to Peter. And he's the one who writes this, and who does he write it to? He writes it to, it says here, to God's elect. Who's that? And is that you? I, I'm thinking what Peter wrote 2,000 years ago, to God's elect, is relevant for today to those who are God's elect. And, and that word elect means chosen. And if you have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you're living your life for Jesus Christ, for his kingdom here on this earth, it, it, then you are one of God's chosen. You are one of God's elect. I want you to, I, I want you to see this is, this is for you. Peter wrote to God's elect. He, he wrote this to you. And then he goes on, to God's elect, strangers in the world, strangers in the world. In other translations, say aliens in this world. This world's not our home. Other translations say exiles, uh, which is interesting to me because this is, these are the terms that were applied to the, to the Jewish people, God's elect, God's chosen people who were in exile when they were in Egypt. They, they were God's chosen people because they, they, they had God's favor on them. But, but they were in a place where God did not rule. They were under the subjugation of a foreign enemy power. So these are the terms that, that Peter is using for the church today. You are God's chosen people, but you're living in a land that's dominated by the enemy's power. You're living in a foreign land. You're, you're aliens here. This world is not your home. And do you understand that? And can you relate to this? Do you feel like a stranger in this world? Uh, you know, I just don't belong here. Um, and 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 you can see this. An illustration was given to me. You imagine the whole world, you know, marching to to a certain drum. You know, you, they're they're all listening to some boring music. That's them if they're listening to any music at all. And you're over here with your headphones on, and you got like the Hot Chili Peppers in or something like that. You're and you're just like yeah yeah yeah. And they, they, so. You you stand out. You look different. You're supposed to look different because we're listening to God. We're tuned into God. We have joy. And the world can't relate. They, the world just, they're looking at you like, what is wrong with you? And, and, and the shame of it is, in our world, a lot of times Christians don't stand out too much. A lot of times it looks like Christians are listening to the same thing the world's listening to. And... and we don't seem to be strangers in this world, but we should stand out because we have been sanctified, we have been set apart by God, we have joy in our heart, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we should stand out. There should be a difference between God's elect and those who refuse to, to live for God. Um, Or Do you see yourself as a stranger in the world? Uh, I want to go on. Verse 2 says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit uh, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. I just want to point out the Trinity right here. The Father... Chose us according to his foreknowledge. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Son washes us clean with his blood. That's just the introduction to to Peter. There's some wonderful stuff right there. I want to move on. Verse 3, it says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There is so much good stuff there, uh, and we we'll to come back to some of it, but I want you to look at verse 6 with me. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And that's where we need to start. Although you might have had to suffer grief in all kinds of various trials. He's, write, he's writing this to people who are living under Emperor Nero. Um, but I'm wondering, have you had to suffer anything, any grief, any various trials? Are you suffering right now any various trials? And, 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 and a big part of my message today, I want us to understand the Bible does not hide from suffering. The Bible does not shy away from this sub- subject. And 1 Peter deals with this extensively. I imagine we're going to be talking about this a lot over the next several weeks. Suffering. And not, not that we want to talk about it, but there's richness here. There, there's something important that we're supposed to be getting out of this here. Uh, I want you to see 1 Peter 2 verse 20. This is what he says. He says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, This is commendable before God. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. That's what he says. He he says in 1 Peter 3, verse 14 even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. You know, if you suffer for doing what is right, he he says in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. In in verse 16, he says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that that name. He says in verse 19, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You see, it's a recurring theme. It's, It's over and over and over. If you are suffering, if you are suffering, And why are we suffering? We're suffering, they're they're suffering because they're they're exiles or strangers in this world. They're suffering because they've been scattered because of the persecution, that's what it says in in verse 1 scattered throughout Pontius and Galatia and and uh, all these places. Um, So they've been scattered because of the persecution, they're they're exiles, and and because they're experiencing various trials, all kinds of trials, is what it says in verse 6. It's like an avalanche of trials. You get buried under all the pressures of, of life. Um, and it, it, could be, it could be all kinds of things. It could be depression, anxiety, inflation, isolation, financial issues, health issues, uh, loss of a loved one, the persecution from your government, all these things. It just it never stops. It just keeps coming and coming. It's overwhelming. They're suffering because their present living conditions were tense. See what I did there, present tense? Uh, why, why, why do good people suffer? Isn't that the question that everybody asks? And everybody gets mad at God, and everybody blames God. Why am I suffering? That's what we're dealing with here. Why, why would a loving God allow people to suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? You can say it any way, you know, all, all these different ways we can, we can frame the question here. Vernon McGee, J. Vernon McGee, uh, his, his answer is brilliant. He says, there are no good people. Um, There's no good people. There's none that doeth good. Not one is what it says in Romans 3, verse 12. Why do the righteous suffer? C.S. Lewis, he's, he says, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. Um, don't know if that comforts you or not. Uh, but I like C.S. Lewis a lot. Uh, I just, I'm just pointing out suffering is covered extensively, extensively throughout the Bible. In, in the Old Testament, uh, Job, there's 42 chapters that deal with suffering. Um, it, it's, it's in the book of Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations, the book of Habakkuk, um, Suffering is dealt with a lot in the Bible. You you see the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and and suffering. You see them in in slavery and captivity in Egypt, suffering. One-third of the Psalms speak about doubt and frustration and disappointment and pain. And then you get to the New Testament. You get the New Testament and, and just thrown in your face the suffering of Jesus Christ, how he suffered. Then you get to the book of Acts and you see how the apostles suffered. Since the beginning of the Christian church, Christ's followers have suffered. As a result of their devotion, many early churches were, Christians in early, uh, the churches were beaten and exiled and beheaded and crucified and stoned and pierced with spears, burned alive, and they faced many other violent forms of persecution. And today, there are many people in our world today who are suffering. Suffering, Purely because of their walk with Christ. Because they're Christians. That's why they're suffering. And maybe, you know, we have been spared from the physical violence that a lot of our brothers and sisters have experienced, but none of us are exempt from the fiery trials that Peter is speaking of, whether it be, you know, arthritis or cancer or or diabetes or or marriage problems or family problems or, uh, you know, our government problems, the world hating us. Jesus says the world will hate you. The world, in this world, you will have trouble. He says that. In Acts, he, in Acts it says we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Are you aware of that one? I mean, that's in the Bible. Uh, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's what it says. And Peter writes, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. So I'll go back, you why, know, why do we suffer? And one reason, we live in a fallen world. I, I, I truly believe if Adam and Eve did not sin in the garden, there would be no such thing as poison ivy. I don't think there would be mosquitoes. But they did it, and that's what we have to live with now, okay? It's here. Um, it's a fallen world. We have issues like that. I had a tooth pulled this week. I had a head cold all week. I, you know, it's, it's bad, you know? Uh, so part of it is just because we live in a fallen world. Part of it is it's, it's our own fault. It's because we have sinned and lived in rebellion to God, and now we've got to deal with the consequences of that. But I think overwhelmingly, one of the main reasons we suffer, and, and I think this is what I see here, is it's God's way of strengthening our faith. And that's what I want you to see. And, and don't lose sight of this. This is what it says in verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, so right there, I see this happens. God's purpose behind it is, is to prove our faith genuine. And Peter, he relates it to, to gold um, being tested by fire. The, these trials reveal where our faith really lies. It, maybe it reveals you really don't trust God, do you? you know, you're going through something, and you you're, you go to church every Sunday. You say you believe in God, and all of a sudden you go through something bad, and apparently you don't trust God. And it reveals this that you know you you got some growing you got to do here. You know, you're 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 thinking God's forgotten you. you you're. you're, you're you're taking matters in your own hands instead of waiting upon the Lord. It reveals sometimes that that you love you love God's gifts more than you love God Himself, and that's that's just idolatry, is what that is. Um, it, it, these trials reveal these things to us, and. and and if we allow these trials, to, if we allow God to do what he wants to do, it should grow our faith, deepen our faith, it purifies our faith. Let me, let, me, let me take you back to Peter. You know, Peter wasn't exempt from trials, was he? Um, the, the greatest trial is when Jesus was placed on trial, when Jesus was arrested. Can you imagine what Peter went through? What that did to Peter when his Lord, his Savior, the Messiah, who he had followed for three years, all of a sudden was arrested and then, and then put on a cross and crucified and died and laid in a tomb. And Peter was shattered. Where are you, God? How did this happen, God? Just saying, Peter knows firsthand what he's talking about. Peter is an authority on this subject. Peter has dealt with this. He experienced it. And and not only, I mean, the major thing was the the death of Jesus Christ. But then later on in the book of Acts, and you get to chapter 4, he was arrested for preaching the gospel. Uh, That's that's suffering. And then you get to Acts chapter 12, Herod had him arrested, intending on, on killing him, how he had killed James, beheading him. And, and one more thing, Jesus. when Jesus caught up with them after the resurrection, in John 21, Jesus tells them how he's going to die. In, in John 21, verse 18, i tell you the truth. When you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Peter knew what he was talking about. We can learn something from Peter today. What what Peter wrote about 2,000 years ago applies to us today. God allows these trials to test us, to purify us. I'm just saying, don't hate it. Trust God. He's using it. Can you believe that? Do you believe that? Um. It was the say, these trials have come so that your faith of greater, go, greater worth than gold, which perishes even, even though refined by the fire, may, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ reveals is revealed. Um, so the, the, it results in praise. Now, think about this. I want you to think deep with me on this one. Um, when you suffer, is, is it like your reflex? Is it your reaction? Praise God. All right. Man, it's bad out there. Praise God, it's awesome. I mean, is that the is that the normal uh, result of suffering? Is it causes you to praise God? And I'm thinking, not necessarily. I, I, man, I just, I, it's hard. That's hard. I don't think it's what it means. It, it doesn't result in me praising God. It results in Him praising me. Well done, good and faithful servant. I've taken you through the fire. I've tried you. And I have found that you're standing strong. You're putting your faith in me. You're walking with me. Now, when you look at it that way, who doesn't want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant? Who doesn't want to hear Jesus praising you that you, you went through the fire. I, I, I read about this here. I thought this was interesting here. Um, these three luxury, uh, luxury ocean liners the Queen Mary, the Queen Elizabeth, the, uh, the QE2. Um, this, this preacher was talking about these. Says that when, when these ocean liners were built, they did, they did not test them in the dry dock. They didn't leave them in, in dry dock and get big hoses out to see if they would leak. That's not how you test ships. No, they, they, got, they, they got those ships out, out uh, what what's it say, out into the open ocean to put them through sea trials. These trials were not intended to sink the ship. These trials were pro- to, to prove these ships sea, seaworthy. They weren't intended to sink the ships. They were to prove the ships seaworthy. Isn't that exactly what God is doing with us? We are God's Creation, His special fearfully and wonderfully made. And He's going to put us in some deep trials to make sure we don't leak, to make sure we stay afloat, to make sure that we stay trusting in God. All right, so I dealt with a lot with suffering. I got three minutes to deal with hope now, um, which I don't want to leave you with just suffering, okay? Uh, we have hope. It goes back to verse three in His great mercy, in His great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. In his great great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. What this world is lacking so so desperately is hope. They they, they say, you know, all that people need to survive is, you know, food and water and air and shelter, uh, and they'll be fine. That is not true. You need hope. Because there's plenty of people in this world with food and water and shelter and air, and they're not doing well. And some of them are suicidal. Uh, They're lacking hope. You and I, we have a living hope. Not an uncertain hope, but a living hope. Peter wrote this letter to Christians who were facing persecution and difficulty and death because of their faith. And he's telling them, you need to stand strong. You need to trust in Jesus and keep your hope fixed on God's ultimate purpose for your life. Uh, I, I've got some, uh, a few things here I want to share with you. Jer, Jerome, Jerome uh, Groupman, uh, Harvard Medical Prof- uh, School professor, um, uh, he, he, he wrote on the subject, uh, the anatomy of hope. And this is what he says. Basically, I think hope is the ability to see a path to the future. That's pretty good stuff right there. He says, you are facing dire circumstances, and you need to know everything that's blocking or threatening you. And then you can see a path or a potential path to get to where you want to be. Once you see that, there's a tremendous emotional uplift that occurs. You see what he's saying here? You've got to see a path. You're going through the storm. Everybody's going to experience a storm. You've got to see the light at the end of the tunnel is basically what he's saying. You've got to see what's on the other side. And if you can see that, then you have hope. He he, he goes on. He says, I think hope has been, is, and always will be at the heart of medicine and healing. We could not live without hope. He said hope is more important than prescriptions. You've got to have the hope. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus gives you hope. I I hope that everyone in this room understands how precious that is that we have Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs. That's what Jesus did. He gave us hope. This is what you and I do as Christians. We are to give the world hope. Help them see Jesus at the end of the tunnel. Through the suffering, you've got to see Jesus. You've got to get your eyes fixed on Jesus or you're never going to make it. C.S. Lewis, he says, hope is one of the, the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. That you are called to be hopeful. You are created to be hopeful. It does not mean that we are to leave this present world as it is. He says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were were those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who who set set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished slave trade, they all left their mark on this earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Is because we're not looking at the light at the end of the tunnel anymore. We're just all just going through the tunnel. That's that's, that's not who he has he end this. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. That is profound stuff right there. That's why everybody quotes C.S. Lewis because he says stuff like that. He's awesome. And then uh, Viktor Frankl, I want to tell you about this guy. He was a Jewish-Austrian a psychologist who was imprisoned in Aus- Auschwitz. How do you say it? Um, so, you know, during World War II, under Hitler, he, he was in prison. He went through it, but he's a psychologist. And, and so he's, he's kind of observing everything that's going on. He's studying it as, a, as, you know, that's what he does. And he writes a book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he says, uh, some of the prisoners responded to their hopeless situation by becoming brutal and cruel themselves part bitterness part quest for power that's that's how they dealt with it others he said just gave up he wrote usually this happened quite suddenly the symptoms of which were familiar to to us experienced camp inmates we all feared for this moment in our friends usually it began one morning when the prisoner simply refused to get dressed or washed or, or go out to the parade grounds for inspection. No no blows, no threats no, uh, had any effect. They just lay there. They'd given up. Nothing bothered them anymore because they had lost hope. They had no hope. Then he talks about a third group. Many, he said, held on to the hope that if they stayed alive, their health, their family, their professions, their achievements, their fortunes, and positions in society would one day be restored to them. That's what they, that was their hope. Someday, someday, that was their hope. After liberation, though, he said many of them went home and found that those things were gone. And they went into deep depression and even committed suicide because their hope, what they put their hope in, had been Shattered. He says, the ones who truly overcame Auschwitz were the ones who had a fixed reference point beyond this world, something they held on to that was out of the grasp of death and destruction. That's essentially what Peter's trying to say in this book. These trials, these pains, they expose, they expose where our hope is. Our, is our hope in the things of this world? Is your hope in your, 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 your spouse? Is your hope in your finances? Is your hope in your health? Is, is your hope in your government? What, what is your hope in? If your hope is in any of these worldly things, it's going to get shattered. Where was Peter's hope? He says, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is our fixed reference point, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I I take you back to Peter when he went through his trial and and the devastation he experienced when his Lord and Savior got arrested and the the trial that that Jesus went through. Thursday was a terrible night. Friday was a terrible day. Saturday was, was unbearable. Peter was in deep despair. But then Sunday came and that changed everything. His sadness was turned to joy. His, his despair was turned into triumph. Friday and Saturday were so painful, but Sunday, Sunday's coming. It's because of that, Peter has learned to rejoice in the trials. It's because, this, is, this is what changed everything. If you, if you know the whole story about Peter, they couldn't shut him up after that. He faced death all the time. He didn't care. What can you do to me? My Lord, my Savior, my hope is in heaven. You can't touch me. And this is Peter's message for us. Yes, we're going to go through suffering, but we have a living hope that will never perish or spoil or fade, a living hope that is shielded by God in heaven, meaning no one outside of God can touch it, a living hope that looks to the future, a living hope that never ends. A living hope, because Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He reigns in heaven. We have a living hope, so we rejoice. He says in verse six, "In this you greatly rejoice, although now you're you got to suffer some grief and some various trials, but we great, greatly rejoice because we know these trials are temporary." They're not going to last forever. And we know these trials are trivial, even death. Death is trivial when you consider the fact we're going to live forever. With God in heaven, no more crying, no more dying, no more pain. It's okay. I'll take whatever this world can throw at me. I'm okay. These trials are temporary. They're trivial. They can't hurt us. We are shielded by God's power. And these trials are purposeful. Proving our faith genuine, resulting in praise from our Lord. And verse 9 says, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Everything worth anything has to go through fire. You put sand in the fire, you get glass. You put clay in the fire, you get porcelain. You put Christians in the fire, and you get spiritual giants. Who have courage and they have hope. You and I have a living hope. We can see past the trial to what is to come. Uh, I went in with uh, you know the old story. Everybody has heard some version of the story before. The, the kid he comes home uh, complaining about how bad his life is. You know school is bad. Everybody hates him. He, he's going to eat some worms. And and grandma's baking a cake, and she says, "You want some? You want some cooking oil? Hmm, would that help? You want some raw eggs? You what? You want some baking soda? You want some flour?" And and the kids just getting grossed out. What what is wrong with you, Grandma? Right? And to which Grandma replies, yeah, all these things taste bad by themselves. But when they're put together in the right way, and they're placed into heat, they make a wonderful cake. You get it? You know? You understand? There's times we got to go through some yucky stuff. But God is turning it into a masterpiece. Paul says in Romans 5, we all rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. God has a plan for us. And as he takes us through these trials, we become more aware of our dependency on God and and more aware of the greatness of God and and the strength of God and the weakness of ourselves. We, We Our faith increases. We learn to trust Him. We learn to depend on Him. The present is tense, but our future is going to be perfect. Let me close with 1 Peter 1, verse 8. Though though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of God of your souls.